0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Human Capital Institute's 9 to Thrive HR. I'm Alan Mellish, and I'm your host. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone to rate and subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Today's episode is brought to you by HCI's 2020 People Analytics and Workforce Planning Conference. Join us in luscious Miami from March 23rd to the 25th to turn talent insights into business results. Learn more at pawpconference.com. My guest today is Dan L. Ward, Special Advisor for Talent Solutions at NASA. As if working at NASA weren't impressive enough, Dan has a long and storied career advising both government agencies and private companies on how to predict, plan, and prepare for their future talent needs. And Dan will be joining us on stage at People Analytics and Workforce Planning Conference in Miami, and he's graciously joined us today to provide a little preview of what he's going to be talking about on stage in March. Dan, welcome to Nine to Thrive.
1: Thank you very much, Alan. I'm glad to be here, and I'm particularly looking forward to the conference.
0: Absolutely. So uh, without further ado, I want to get started here and, uh, and set the table for our audience. One of the biggest challenges we often hear from our HCI members is their struggle to with an uncertain future. Uh, it, it, there's uh, lots of market forces shifting. Business strategy is unclear right now, or maybe it's clear, but it's going to change in six months. So this is challenging for anybody who's um, uh, who's in the HR function as a whole. But when we talk about workforce planners in particular, this problem is even worse because their whole job description involves looking into the future and making predictions about it. Um, uh, so I put it to you, Dan, uh, is there any way we can counteract this drift towards chaos and confusion in the workforce planning space?
1: It's one of the perennial challenges, Alan. Our our leaders would like us to just pull out our crystal ball and uh, tell them how many people are we going to need, when and where, with what skills. And that's been one of the challenges of workforce planning, going back to, oh, probably to Julius Caesar and the Roman armies, trying to figure (laughs) out what you need, when you need it, where you need it. Uh, The the demands can be pretty uh, pretty high on that. And I started my career, I have a background in econometrics and building workforce simulation models. And the thing is, uh, people don't easily fall into that. The, the, the traditional approach to workforce planning is a five-year forecast. It's typically done in Excel today. And people are running the numbers. And the reality uh, sets in, you know, who would have predicted uh, the kind of changes uh, we've seen in our society? And so, uh, if you try to just run the numbers, you really don't often get the, the right answer. So, something that some organizations have found is more useful is to do a scenario planning and running scenario studies.
0: Yeah, so uh, that's a, a that's a really great, I think, um, overview of the challenge, and uh, and also helpful, I think, to everybody who's really feeling the pain right now. To uh, I guess there's they can take some comfort in knowing that they're not alone. They have, they're uh, they're in good company with uh, Julius Caesar's, uh, supply chain, uh, executives or, or whomever and, and is recruiting people. Uh, it's, it's, you know, whether you're invading Gaul and then crossing the Rubicon or just trying to, uh, figure out a way to get into the Asian markets, you've still, uh, you've still got to think about these things. So, um, uh, so you may, so scenario planning and running through scenarios, uh, I, you know, a lot of our audience might be familiar with with the concept. But uh, for, but for those who aren't, what uh, what's really involved in scenario planning as far as workforce planning goes?
1: Well, the way we practice it today, uh, it, it really started with what Royal Dutch Shell was doing. Uh, really, about they started about forty years ago. But Peter Schwartz uh, is kind of the father of the modern approach to it, and he t- talks about recognizing uh, what kind of focus issues you have and what are some of the key internal forces related to that, and then developing uh, several different scenarios of what the future might look like. And And the goal is not to predict the future as much as it is to get better informed about what the compelling challenges are going to be, then looking for common elements across those challenges And then using that to leverage what the future might look like. So if you think of a kind of a a vector, we're we're moving in this general direction. And and, in planning, you often do a tranche that says, you know, high case, low case, and something in between. It's it's saying, if we look at the future and anticipate a variety of alternatives, what are the common elements of those alternatives? And then let's try to staff for something that will make us more agile and more flexible for dealing with those.
0: Yeah, I think that's helpful, and um, uh, and and I think it's it's really important to for people to take note that the idea is not to get it perfectly because you know just look at sports betting or something like that. Uh, people lose a lot of money because they can't pre- even though they you know may study a lot of this, they they can't predict into the outcomes of individual games, or but they can over time, but if you uh, if you look at different scenarios, you can in business you can um, become more prepared for the uh, for the different for the array of possibilities rather than this is you know this is scenario a and we're prepared for scenario a and God help us if there's a B. I think that's an important uh,
1: factor there that, that, you know, if we just prepare for what we as- would like the future to be, and that often happens in business. So we, we typically see this in the hockey stick projection, you know, okay, we've been going okay here and now things are really going to take off and they plan for that future. And then nine eleven happens or, or the candidate you didn't think was going to win wins an election and all of a sudden policies change or, or somebody new enters your field, you know, uh, it's, you, we can get a little better prepared by looking at a range of alternatives. You know, I, I've worked in scenario planning when I was at Texaco, and, and I've used it uh, with some at EDS, and, and then at, at, uh, when I was at the MITRE Corporation with a variety of government agencies. Now here at NASA, for example, NASA, uh, if we're getting ready to go to Mars we haven't been to Mars before, so you, you can't just assume that things are going to be the same as they've, they've always been. So right. there's a lot of scenario planning and uh, spaceflight related about what could go wrong in space because you, you can't take the entire pharmacy in a hospital with you. But, but if something happens in space, how do you deal with that? So then you do scenarios and try to find something that's in between. In the workforce area, there's organizations will say, you know, what are the most important forces we face in the next few years? And what might be the most optimistic outcome? What might be the most pessimistic outcome? And, uh, and what kind of decisions do we have to pull together to get prepared for that range of possibilities? And you, and you can't anticipate them all. So let's, let's find a spot in between that, that will give us the most opportunity for agility. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in the interest of testing your own agility, I want to throw something at you. Um, I or there, We had a, um, a session a few years ago at one of our conferences where um, one of the presenters was talking just in the course of his larger presentation about uh, about scenario planning and using that as a way to engage stakeholders in the business, or in your case, engage the, the stakeholders in the, uh, the operations area of NASA, the people who are actually doing the work, um, that, uh, that will get, that will take us to Mars, um, he said, you know, because a, another chronic problem that we see is uh, a struggle to engage those people and get them thinking about uh, get them thinking about what's coming down the pike beyond uh, from a human capital standpoint. And he said uh, he, he crafted a, um, an you know, essentially a fictional email and sent and gave it to a bunch of uh, HR business partners in the room and said, what if you got this email from our benefits department and it was essentially uh, you know social security administration is giving uh people within certain age range the option to uh retire and start drawing on their benefits if they you know if they're willing to go below a you know take a, a little bit of a pay cut on their benefits but they get to retire early essentially and so it was a really plausible grounded in reality kind of scenario And he and and everybody started freaking out because they were like, you know, oh, my God, a lot of people that work for us are around 57 years old or whenever the cutoff was. And and could, uh, you know, so if that happened, they had to start gaming through, Okay, what percentage of the workforce do we think might take advantage of this? And how is that going to affect us over three to five years if we uh, if we do that? What do you think about using scenarios as a way to? Promote, um, get people involved, and kind of say, "Look, this is real, and uh, something very much like this could happen." I think they're very useful for a case like that, and and there's kind of a continuum.
1: Uh, You. If, if you do formal scenario planning as described in some of the literature then that tends to be a, a fairly intense and lengthy process at the other end of the spectrum you, you may just run some vignettes what if we did this and tweak this and that it may not it may not fit the classical definitional scenario planning but basically it's let's look at some possibilities for the future and say what if we did this what if we offered this incentive who do how many people do we think would take it and you get an informed uh, opinion on that and then you say okay well what if we sweeten the pot or what if we offered less than that um and that you know in the case of uh some organizations uh well in nasa looking at uh after the challenger program or after the uh, the shuttle program uh as as we're now looking at going to the moon it's a slightly different skill set so they have offered some early retirement incentive uh, alternatives for people that might not want to relearn uh, the uh, the good thing about NASA is we've eight years in a row we've been the best place to work in government and people love working here and they're engaged they're sharp people and they're they they take lifelong learning very seriously so we don't tend to have the problems you tend to see in other organizations but there's still some people that say you know okay I'm I'm ready to do something different maybe I want to go fishing so you know what kind of incentive would you offer there so. It's it's not a it's not a bad use of scenarios, uh, although you know scenarios tend to be a little bit larger in the longer term than just what if we tweak this policy slightly.
0: Right, right, yeah, and I think um, uh, and I think too, I bet it with the the level of utility for that would depend uh, also a great deal on the organization that you're looking at. Like, you know, in uh, in certain areas of government, you can uh, it's maybe a little bit easier to look further into the future. Although, as you say, not necessarily, because sometimes, uh, you know, uh, uh, an election can change quite a bit as we know. And, um, uh, and also I would bet, um, oil and gas tend to, uh, have a longer uh, look into the future than say, uh, I, I don't know, compared to somebody in Silicon Valley where they might, um uh they might uh, with some uh, investment into uh a, a new technology, they might change very quickly or might have to respond rapidly to somebody who didn't exist six months ago but is now um eating their lunch uh so I, I guess it's a uh, I'll pause there. do you want to comment on that that um the level of intensity and formality of your scenario planning might depend based on the the type of organization you're in?
1: Absolutely. uh, You'd see some flexibility and variability there. I would say if you Google um, Global Trends, for example. Global Trends is a report that's put out by the National Intelligence Council, or NIC, every four years. The most recent one they did was uh, looking at the paradox of progress. And they looked at three different, very different scenarios. But these are, on a global scale, looking out 20 plus years, uh, and very intense studies where they had over 2,000 people involved in that. And all of those are downloadable. So if you want to see, you know, kind of a scenario planning on steroids, take a look at uh, the Global Trends Study, uh, and you'll you'll see some amazing stuff, which you might be able to leverage for your own organization because, uh, again, 2,000 people from around the world involved in looking at some of these trends. At the other end of the spectrum, the uh, furniture company, Herman Miller, they, they do a variety of, a shorter term, you know, uh, scenarios, trying to anticipate what kind of uh, office, how office buildings may change, what kind of furniture people might use, and, and Herman Miller also has some good things on their website. So it, it, you can go from the 2,000 people looking out 20 years versus you know a smaller organization looking out five years in terms of what office furnishings may look like, you know, and and then more smaller scale, if you will, vignettes like the example you you mentioned ago on uh, early retirement incentives. Yeah. So uh, it, it, there's a wide variety there. But the thing is, it gets us out of that box of trying to project the future out using Excel spreadsheets. It gets people to use more the, the creative side of their brain and anticipate what if. And it's, and the goal is not to be 100% accurate. It's to, to better understand what the range of possibilities might be. So perhaps we can chart a path that's somewhere in between that makes us a lot more agile.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's really helpful, and uh, and again, I want to uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, that's all. That is all the time we have for today. So, Dan, uh, real quick, what's the best way for people to stay up to date on uh, on what you're working on? Well,
1: I I do have a a Twitter account, but I think probably the best thing to do is to attend that wonderful conference on March 23rd through 25th, in Miami.
0: <laughs> that's right, that's right. That is the best. Day. This was not pre planned. Dan has just uh, got a fine commercial mind there, in addition to many other things. So uh, once again, this episode was brought to you by HCI's 2020 People Analytics and Workforce Planning Conference. Make sure to sign up at pawpconference.com where we have live and virtual passes available. And for all ideas related to uh, people analytics, workforce planning, and HR, check us out at the Human Capital Institute. Uh, You can find us online at hci.org. And don't forget to like this podcast, rate rate it and subscribe to it wherever you get them. Uh, you're going to want to keep up with, uh, with everything we're doing via podcast. So until next time, I am Alan Mellish.